As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling? All right, welcome into the Growler edition of Hear That Podcast. Growler, Paul Diener Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you and excited. I'm excited about this one. Uh, get a chance to uh, talk about one of my favorite games. I, I, I'm not sure if it's my favorite game I've ever covered. It might be. It's close. Uh, I, I've, there's been there's been some favorites in there, but revisiting Dolphins Bengals 2019 that gave the Bengals Joe Burrow clinched the Bengals Joe Burrow, uh, and saw two, uh, the Dolphins team that was supposed to be tanking, trying to find a way. Neither fan base wanted them to win. Somebody had to, and the most miraculous comeback against all odds occurred in Miami, uh, and the fallout from it is fascinating. You still hear stuff about it to this day. Uh, so I'm excited to talk with Kevin Clark of The Ringer, who, um, if you don't follow that, you should be reading and listening to everything they do at The Ringer. Kevin's fantastic. Um, you probably know that by now. Slow News Day is one of my favorite things on the internet. Um, and he is based in, out of Miami, so he has a lot of history with the Dolphins and wrote a huge piece on tanking uh, and rebuilding and how you can't do it and and, and found us that the precipice of it was that game it all kind of led us to that game and the way it went out was incredible and i talked to him there uh during that game and and it just always made sense to holler at him this week as we revisit what happened there and it's a great conversation uh we're going to get to that very soon josh tolentino who covers the dolphins jay you talked to him a little bit about what's going on in miami this week so we'll have that conversation coming for you as well we have a fun degenerate corner uh piggyback that we want to bring out to you we've got some good stats that are sad uh and we have some growler bet for you that i think you might be able to win this week I don't know. I'm not sure if we made it too easy or if it's too hard. I think it's right in the middle. They're not they're not hard on their own, but the fact that you have to hit both, I think, is gonna it, it greatly increases the degree of difficulty. I, I I don't think we will have a winner this week. Yeah, we'll see. 
So we got that coming for you in predictions, of course, later on in the episode. Jay, uh, what do we got for news? Are people still caring? Well, before we get to that, I want to ask, because you said you weren't sure. This is what I care about. Um, you, you weren't sure if, if that was the greatest game. Uh, I, I want to know last year how you view your return to Cincinnati. If if that was, if you look at that favorably as a great travel experience, even because you pulled it off, or is it still give you nightmares? Because I don't, people, the, the game last year, they were calling for rain during the game and it didn't happen. And it, uh, we, we were walking to our car after writing our stories and it started and it unleashed that night and it never stopped. And I was flying out of Miami. Paul was flying out of Fort Lauderdale and Paul finds out the, Entire Fort Lauderdale airport was closed because of flooding, and you can kind of take it from there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I had forgotten about this, Jay. I had put this out of my mind that this was also part of this ridiculous trip. You're right. I found that out. It was like delayed. I get that you get to like beep at like five in the morning or whatever, and I'm like working with the travel people, like trying to figure out is it just delayed a little bit? Because I got the I got the hotel right next to the Fort Lauderdale airport. I was at the the airport hotel because I was just going to go right down the road, and they're like, yeah, it just it kept delaying and delaying. I was like, and then I turn on the news and you just see like all it is is just water and like the tarmac and like on the inside the building, and I'm like, oh, that's not good. And they eventually. Said, look, if you can make it to Miami uh, for a flight in like an hour and 20 minutes or something, then you can do it. And so I had to like dial up uh, an Uber guy to come take me. And and this whole thing, the dude is like, I told him to, he was flying. I mean, Fort Lauderdale to Miami, if you've ever done it before, it can take a while. Luckily, it was early enough, snuck in just barely. I mean, it was one of those like in the door. Like right at the last through security in the door right before it closes. And on that flight from Miami back to Cincinnati, actually got home sooner than I would have if I would have taken the Fort Lauderdale flight. And it was my flight. We were on the same flight. And that was the crazy part. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was a total miracle to end all miracles. Uh, It was a Christmas miracle. It was two days before Christmas, right? It was. I had forgotten all about that. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, As far as Bengals Dolphins goes this weekend. um they're going to play. Is Tua going to play? I don't think anybody knows that. Um, yeah. that, that. That's one of the things I talk. That's the first thing I talk about with Josh on our conversation. And it's, it's you know, obviously a, a coach isn't going to spill that. We saw that last week with um, Zach not playing coy with who was going to start at, at quarterback. Um, I think there's a thought that if, if Tua can go, he will be the quarterback and um, it, it's looking like he he might be able to, but they this is this is going to be unfamiliar for Bengals fans. But the Dolphins have a practice bubble, and they're going to be in it today. <laughs> and the media aren't allowed because of COVID protocol. The media are not allowed in there, so they're not going to be able to watch practice um, to to see how Tua looks. So I, I think this this mystery is going to drag out to at least Friday, uh, maybe even as a game time decision. Uh, Xavier Suafilo is going to be back, uh, activated 53. We talked to him on Wednesday. You may remember me, you may remember him from the offseason signing and the, and the first few quarters of the uh, opener way back. Um, he was supposed to be the solid rock at right guard, which has turned into a revolving door of, well, a lot of different things. Uh, 
we don't know for sure that he's going to start. I think you feel maybe pretty good at Alex Redmond's in concussion protocol. I mean, last week they moved Jordan back, they, who had been benched in the left guard, and Quentin Spain over. There's a lot of rotating happening. I have a feeling we're going to see Xavier Suafilo, and I think it's going to be important to see him down the stretch here to judge whether he can be an answer for them next year. You know, if he plays really well down the last five games, suddenly you don't feel like you have to go spend in free agency what could be a pretty penny uh, to fix your guard position. It's an, it kind of, you know, I think it's it's really important to see what he looks like. And Quentin Spain has said that he's he is he's played everywhere, but he is most comfortable at left guard, and we have not seen him at left guard for an entire game yet. They. They they started with Shaq Calhoun the week against Tennessee when Michael Jordan was sick, and then um, and then Quentin came in in relief of of Calhoun, and then last week Calhoun gets to start at or uh, I'm sorry, um, Quentin Spain gets to start for Michael Jordan at left guard, and then because of the concussion to Alex Redmond, then they flip Quentin over to right guard and bring Michael Jordan back into left where he's comfortable. So yes, I, I think this will be a chance to see. It, number one, it'll be the eighth offensive line combination this year in 12 games and the 16th over the last two years. Um, and I do think that's the way it's going to play out is, is get a look at Suafilo at right guard, what he can do. Get a look at Quentin Spain for a full game at left guard um, and see what he can do. And that's that's what these final five games are going to be about, assessing this offensive line and, and who they want to go forward with is going to be a big part of, of these last five. Yep. Uh, a, a deeper look into that and some other things coming up uh, next week. Teaser. Teaser on that. Uh, also, by the way, um, you know, all of our coverage uh, on The Athletic and everywhere you go, NBA, NHL, Premier League, you name it, anywhere, all under one umbrella and through Friday. Last chance to get in if you go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling. Our Black Friday, Cyber Monday, everything deal is still there. You got to go there, though. You got to go to our podcast page. And it is $1 per month for the next 12 months for new subscribers. Give a gift, whatever. There is no deal that rivals this. It's as good as it gets. You got to get it now. Or we're not going to have it again. Go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast. Growling. Get in on that. All right. Let's move forward. Kevin Clark of The Ringer. Here's my conversation with him. And we'll be, uh, we'll be right back after that. All right, before we move on, let's just take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, very excited uh, to welcome our next guest uh, on to the Growler, and that is Kevin Clark of The Ringer. I hope people are familiar with his work. His podcast is incredible. With Nora Princiati, still fantastic. And uh, Kevin, what's up? 
I'm I'm excited to talk about my favorite football game. Yes, of the last of, of uh, in the la- in recent history, I guess you could say. Yeah, there is no doubt. I mean, it was. I, I just. It's a matter of how long do you wait to do the 30 for 30 at this point? Like, I mean, it's just, it's a matter of how much time does it need to breathe? Do you do one year, five years, 10 years? Do you do them all? Do you wait for like a last dance? Do you have to wait for the access for the last dance style 10 episode thing? I just, there, there's just a lot there. I want everybody that played or participated in that game to be out of the league so that they have nothing to lose and can just. I, I think tote. we're almost there. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting, we're definitely getting close. Uh, there's two topics about this. First of all, to, on background, last year you wrote an incredible story on the art of trying to tank in the NFL. Thank you. Um, and and how the Dolphins were doing it and the Bengals were falling into it eventually, and it led us to this moment in time, which was the two teams both had no reason to win, only reasons to lose, playing against each other with Joe Burrow's star rising in the background and the yeah. the whatever was happening with Tua Tagovailoa out there too. There was just a lot happening. I want to start with the micro of this game and the way it played out and then get into the macro of the way these two teams have rebuilt. You are, you are, you know, when they give you the list of like, Oh, Hey, here's five experts in this field. You can talk to (laughs) (laughs) like, and you dial them up and Oh, here's the expert on like a toe injuries. Yeah. It's like, Oh, do you need an expert on tanking in the NFL? Uh, Here's Kevin (laughs) Clark's number. (laughs) But that game what was your sense going into that game yeah. from neither team bought into tanking and their fan bases, well, the Bengals fan base certainly hated them for it. I mean, it was a yeah. really interesting dynamic in the way the fans were viewing that game almost more than what was happening on the field. So I had decided to spend the week in Miami for that game. Um, it was twofold because it was, I was going to meet with the GM and the coach and we were going to talk in, in Miami and, and t- t- just to talk about the process of being bad in the NFL for the, for the right reasons, I guess you could say, because there are some teams who've done the rebuild effectively and some teams who haven't. I think that last year it was such a flashpoint because you had the Sashi Brown style Browns and they had obviously done the full Sixers style process rebuild. And then I also wanted to see this game because this was two teams that were just abysmal and it's to see what that was going to look like. And so I think that there's – I got the sense that week that the Dolphins wanted to win the game because, A, and this is something you know being in locker rooms, there's a personal pride thing that I don't think people understand because there's not guaranteed contracts. This is not some of those other sports where, where they're, they're going to take a game off. Uh, in the NFL, especially bad teams, they want to have good tape all the time because they're auditioning for 32 teams the next, next year. Um, and so I had gotten a sense like, hey, this team is not tanking at all. And I didn't know about the Bengals. I'd not been with the Bengals since preseason, but I remember being in the, in the locker room after that game. And I don't know if you remember this, but Zach Taylor was giving his press conference and there were guys yelling at each other in the locker room. And this was a, you know, this was week 17 of the worst team in football. And they'd lost a, a game that I thought was kind of a moral victory because of how they came back and there was screaming in the locker room. And so I think that you, the more you learn about tanking in the NFL, the more you realize it's almost impossible to do because the players are not going to be on board with it. The fan bases are generally not going to be on board with it. So I was fascinated. I think I learned more about how to, about bad teams in that game. I've covered a lot of bad football, but I, I, I learned more about how players take to being bad in that, 
that three and a half hours than maybe I have in, in the other eight years that, that I cover the league. The image that stands out to me, there's a couple of them from that game, and that is the Bengals doing this miraculous comeback from down 35 to 12 with like six and a yeah. half minutes left. Yeah. And at the towards the end, there was a point where they had to spike the ball, and Tyler Boyd had cramped up. And yeah. he's on the ground, on, and he's doing everything in his power. People are trying to help him up to be able to stand still so that he can stand there so they can get the spike off, and then I believe it was throw the Hail Mary on the next play and like that that's what these guys are like these yeah. guys are gladiators in the arena and so and then then the other image on the other side of that was the frustration from players being asked about yeah. fans wanting them to lose and the idea that they should lose and yeah. being pissed about it it is still kevin a point of contention amongst Bengals fans today saying, don't tell me well, I should root for you to win or lose. I root for what yeah. I, and like they, cause they were mad at fans for feeling that way and called them not true fans. And that is still, but that's because to these guys, like that is not something that anybody should do. Cause they're out there in the arena. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the whole thing. And I think that that's the, the thing I don't think people from, from the outside understand. And I think by the way, the, the biggest image i remember from that game was baby yoda on the jumbotron a lot <laughs> they were trying to to get the crowd into it i guess and so they just kept showing baby yoda uh so if you're looking for one image i guess you you, you would you would start there but yeah I, I mean i just think that with with you know i remember people asking about joe burrow because he was clinched in that game because there was a scenario in which they didn't uh, get Joe Burrow if they'd won that game and a couple of other things happened and nobody cared. Not one person cared because I don't think with the exception of three or four guys, not at, you know, 47 of those guys were, were playing for jobs next year. And so they did not care that Joe Burrow was coming in. If you're a quarterback, you're worried that Joe Burrow is coming in. <laughs> and so I think that there was, I've never seen a bigger disconnect between how I think people would assume that locker room looked and, and how, how, how it did look. Yeah, um, there are a couple of stats that make this the mo one of the most miraculous, crazy comebacks. Um, and, that, and then it ends with my favorite thing that you've ever said, uh, <laughs> which which I still talk about to this day. It was this. It was 35 to 12 with six and a half minutes left. And the Bengals were on a streak that I've never seen before. They had gone 42 consecutive second half drives without a touchdown in this season, dating back <laughs> – Two and a half months it yeah. had been since they had, had a second half touchdown drive, and they're down 35 to 12 with six and a half minutes left. They proceed to rip off three in a row, including two two point conversions. And, you know, in between there, Randy Bullock connects on an onside kick in which the previous week, Seven days ago, he went viral for arguably the worst onside kick yeah. in NFL history. And he hits the most perfect onside kick that you can hit. And then they, the Dolphins inexplicably leave Tyler Eifert in front at the goal line yeah. with 25 yards to go, who catches the like mini the Hail Mary. Yep. Then they need a two-point conversion again. And Andy Dalton, notorious for not making a single spontaneous play all season. Not one. 
breaks out of the pocket (laughs) and runs for the pylon to score the two-point conversion to send a game that the entire fan base wants them to lose into an inexplicable overtime. And it was unbelievable. But what you said is this. The Dolphins eventually line up for a field goal at the very end of the game. And what should have happened in true tanking form is the Dolphins let the clock run down three, two, and instead of calling timeout, let it hit zero, then snap it, kick the field goal. They believe they won, (laughs) but they still get the tie to get higher draft order. It would have been the most amazing thing of all time. I credit you for that thought. Yeah, it, it was the amount of things that happened that were just mind blowing in that game cannot be overlooked. And the fact that it was a bit of a diversion, everyone knew these teams were bad. And the fact that everything worked out for these teams, relatively speaking, but just before the, the Burrow injury is really fascinating because I think if you would stop that game and gone to half field, midfield, and said to Mike Brown and Stephen Ross and Chris Greer, Zach Taylor, and said, hey guys, uh, Bengals, you're going to get Joe Burrow. Dolphins, you're going to get Tua. They would have been ecstatic. And it felt a million. It felt like when I was watching that game, neither team could do anything right to the point that I wasn't even sure they were going to get the draft right. Okay. Like I, I, I just didn't even know. I didn't even know how to process this. So I, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe they've got Burrow. I remember putting like potential in the story where I was like, yeah, potentially a shot at Burrow because you don't know. I mean, I just saw this team play the worst game I've ever seen. So it was, <laughs> it was uh, the fact that success seems so far away and now there's hope just kind of shows you how quickly things can turn in the NFL. It can turn fast and, um, and or I turn back around again, if in the Bengals case, you know, it, 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 you're all you're teetering uh, when you're in this when you're in this area where you're trying to rebuild you're you're one step away from going way back into the abyss yeah. or climbing out. And you have two teams that have taken completely the opposite path when it comes to rebuilding one, yeah. not admitting you're rebuilding. Okay, as in the Bengals really haven't, it, they never really admitted it. They were always trying to win and not, or the embracing of what you're doing with what Miami did. And we're seeing right now the speed, the difference in speed. It's like this is one end of the spectrum, how quickly you can turn it around. This is the other. We can argue, you know, which is ends up being more effective in the long run. Uh, but what have you made about Miami's rebuild and in, in, in the method? in the way they've done it compared, maybe even compared to the way the Bengals have done it, where it, which is sort of an old method of what everybody knows we're trying to win every year. Yeah. I mean, is this something we're going to see? More of? It's a great question. Yeah. So it's a great question. So I think that the Bengals, the, the dolphins rebuild was much shorter than we gave it credit for. And that was by design. Like when I asked Chris Greer, who do you look for as models? He mentioned San Francisco, who obviously had about a two-and-a-half-year rebuild. They were going to have the run a couple of years ago, and then Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. They're able to get Nick Bosa from that. But it's not like – I think when people looked at the Brown-style process and they saw it was going to be – you know, the Hinky process took, what, five years, six years, whatever it was. That can't happen in the NFL. And everyone knows that can't happen in the NFL because the contract's four years. And by the time you're after three, if you have a superstar, you have to go to, go to the negotiating table. And there's just injuries all the time. Guys who are good in their first year might be bad in their third year. This is not, it is not 
like basketball or baseball where you kind of know how a career is going to go. Um, you really only have two to three year windows. And so most of the teams that have been successful have had really short two or three year rebuilds and gone from there. Even if it, with the Browns, if you look at it, most of the guys who they're winning with now are from a two or three draft process. It's not from the, the 2013 draft. Okay. That no, those guys are gone or out of the league. And I would say that that's, that's the model now throughout the league is you're retooling on the fly all the time. And if you want to take a step back like the Dolphins, you can and get a bunch of draft capital. But I got to tell you, I think the Dolphins are always smart, but I'd really like to have Minka Fitzpatrick if I was the Dolphins. And I, <laughs> I don't think that the first round pick was worth it. I'd much rather have Minka Fitzpatrick making plays back there than the draft capital that they got for him, especially under a rookie contract. And so I think that the, the Bengals thing is a little more common in the NFL. Um, I don't think that a team like the Niners set out to say, Hey, we're, we're going to tank this year. I just think they were incidentally bad. I think the Jaguars are, are an example of what happens when you try to tear the whole thing down. Um, I think they had something like five or six top straight, uh, top five picks in a row and, and nothing came of it. Um, and I, I just think that you need the foundation. I think that there's a safety thing. And I think teams know there's a safety thing involved. If you tank too much and you strip it for parts is the guys are going to get hurt. Teams don't, guys don't want to play there. You know, I remember John Dorsey saying this a couple of years ago and not that it matters if the Bengals in free agency, but he said, you know, you have to sign guys. I remember they signed a bunch of guys, um, when you're off season, why'd you do this? They overpaid for guys like Tyrod Taylor. And he said, well, because, no, you're going to have to overpay for everybody if you don't have some credibility. You have to have some credibility. And I view that with, with, with rebuilds a lot. You have to have some credibility before the rebuild. I think Dolphins had that, even if it's a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick who players love. And so as far as the Bengals rebuild goes um, and how that happened, it was more of an accidental rebuild that 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 is more common in the NFL. And I think it's going to be fine. I mean, I think that if Joe Burrow was – was going to remain healthy and didn't have the injury a couple weeks ago. I think they were on the right track. I just, I just question now what, what happens. And that, that, that that's, I, I mean, and I have no idea what the answer is now. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you, and this is relevant to the Bengals. I'm curious your thought on, on it. Is there, does there have to be a third year? We've, we've seen, you know, for, for a coach to yeah. prove, I mean, because if, if you're going to do this, if you're going to have, if it's going to take time, do you have to let it play out? We have seen, if you look, I went back this week and looked at the three-year windows of the last about, you know, the last five to six cycles that exi- that, yeah. that went, came to completion. And you, it's about half and half. If you have a losing record through the first two years, half of them cut bait, half of them stick around. There's like Kyle Shanahan and like that's about it for guys that eventually it fell into place for and there's reasons for that. I mean, don't do you risk putting yourself back into the you know, the cycle if you cut bait or are you negligent? You know, I it's a it's a very interesting spot to find yourself in cuz you everybody wants to be Miami and Brian Flores right now. Yeah. You know, it's it's obvious the direction that they're going. You don't but then you're in this spot and you find yourself saying, "Okay, do we give up on a rebuild already? Are we not being fair to our own process?" So, uh, we do a mailbag on every Sunday night episode of the podcast and I've gotten more questions than I anticipated about why Zach Taylor is not on the hot seat. And I, the answer, I've never answered the question on the Sunday night show because the Bengals just haven't been done enough to be relevant on a Sunday night. But the the answer is that because Mike Brown runs his organization in such a weird way, I, I don't think anyone put anybody on the hot seat there. It's just so unpredictable. It's not 
I mean, I think you, everyone knows this. Everyone listening to this podcast knows that's not a normal NFL franchise. And so it's not like if you, if you go four and 22 with Jacksonville or Atlanta or Houston or whatever it is. Um, and so I guess Houston's not a normal franchise either, but that, that's a separate thing. <laughs> um, and so as far as the, the window, I don't think there has to be. I think that you have to ask yourself if they've won games. I, w- when I look at a bad coach or a coach with a bad record, I think what have they done? What, have they beaten teams they sh- they shouldn't have beaten? Obviously, they beat Tennessee this year. Um, a little bit different. Uh, beat Jacksonville. I don't think you you get any credit for that. Um, but I I don't know. I just don't know what what they have to show for the last two years. Um, and and I think you think you have to ask yourself: Would Burrow have looked as good as he did um, with all thirty two teams? I I think the answer is yes. I think he would have looked really good with Jacksonville. I think he would have looked really good. Uh, with the Chargers, I just think that that's that's just who he is, and I don't know if if there's any claim to make that that they they coached him up in any way. So I, the answer is no. I don't think you have to. I don't. I, I don't think you have to have a third a third year in the window. Um, and I think that because Mike Brown is his own dude, um, I don't. I don't know how that's going to play out. But I don't. When you're when you're rebuilding a team in year two, you kind especially when you have a, a a franchise quarterback who's ready to go, I think you have to to start showing something. Yeah, and that's the hard part. Because right when they were about to enter the stretch where they were anticipating showing something, then the injury happens, and then and it leaves you in the unknown. Because otherwise, you, had, you were going to have the proving ground. You were going to have a stretch of winnable games against the three NFC East teams, and they're yeah. in this game in Miami. And, and they don't have that now. They have, they have, they have Brandon Allen now it's fun uh <laughs> uh so it's i mean but it's it's kind of a fascinating look but you look at miami now yeah. and they, they have all the picks they had last year will be taking the second year jump you know they hope we'll see how they yeah. all pan out but they had a bunch of top picks obviously they have the same cap space as the Bengals. they have two firsts and two seconds coming up this year and you know it's like you know i i just feel like they've kind of set such a model uh, where people are yeah. like, man, you can you can do it that fast and feel like you're in position. But the real question I'll ask for you before I let you go is because the Bengals have Joe Burrow and the Dolphins don't. It's like it, it, you have the list on both right. sides of like Dolphins have this, 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 this. Yeah, the yeah. Bengals have number nine. Like how who's more likely to really win something. And I again, I'm talking about the Bengals winning something. I understand this is like out of control, but we're talking about Joe Burrow winning something. Who's more likely to win something sooner, the Dolphins or the Bengals and Joe Burrow? So Daniel Jeremiah was on my podcast on Thursday, and we were talking about what's a better job, Jacksonville or Houston? And the the question is, do you want everything, cap space, picks, whatever, any any flexibility you want, or literally nothing but the elite quarterback. That's it. That's what's in Houston. Literally nothing and the elite quarterback. And th- this is the, the cousin of that argument, right? Do you want mm-hmm. Burrow or do you want the sturdy team with the good coaching staff and, and, and smart signings and smart draft picks and all that stuff? As far as the Super Bowl, this is way too early to call. But I, if, if, you're, if the number one draft pick, if you were to combine 104 players on these two teams, would be Joe Burrow, if you're drafting for, for, to, to win a Super Bowl. Okay, I actually don't know who two would be. It's not Ryan Fitzpatrick. But I think that there's I, – I, it's hard for me to say after this, after this injury, I don't know what Burrow's timetable looks like because 
the the cheapest and easiest and and most direct way to a Super Bowl is to have an elite quarterback on a rookie contract. Okay. And I don't know how this happens now in Cincinnati because he he misses all of training camp next year. Maybe he's able to come back during the season next year. You can't really do the we're gonna go all in on Joe Burrow. Not that Mike Brown would ever go all in, but you can't do do the the all in thing next year. And then you get into year three. Maybe you could do it then, but then you don't really know what it looks like. I remember Brett Veach, the the Chiefs GM, telling me about how they were able to figure out in practice and all that stuff what kind of player would play well with with Patrick Mahomes and going out and signing him for his second year. Um, and I actually remember him talking about how he modeled off of Antonio Brown because because there were guys who they needed guys who could just cut in the open field. Um, and so I, the the less the less you have to work with that in practice and all that stuff, the less you understand kind of what Joe Burrow needs from a team building standpoint. And so that worries me a little bit. But if you're asking me what I, if I'm going forward with a healthy Joe Burrow or the Miami Dolphins to win a Super Bowl, I'm taking a healthy Joe Burrow. I just, unfortunately, after that injury, don't see a path right now. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, eventually he'll be healthy. That's this is how I keep Bengals fans listening to the podcast. <laughs> eventually he will be back and be healthy again. And that will be a great thing. Uh, you know, and, and you hope will return for now. It's just mostly sadness and Brandon Allen. And, uh, that's just kind Sorry. of. It's sadness kind of, and Brandon are those different things no well they're they're kind of like in the same stew like there's yeah. a lot of things they're in the sadness the same, yeah. yeah there's a sadness, lot of things sadness comma and Brandon Allen yeah yeah, yeah it's like he's just a little spice but uh Kevin I appreciate I hope I hope uh you enjoyed reliving is it your favorite game ever that you've ever covered <sighs> that I've been at I, I mean it's got to top some Super Bowls it definitely tops some Super Bowls the third it tops the thirteen to three Rams Patriots Super Bowl for sure. The, the twenty eight to three Super Bowl with the Falcons was great. The Malcolm Butler Super Bowl was great. Um, I I'll tell you, there's another Dolphins game that I that I really like. When I was in college, I covered the team. And they were going to go zero and sixteen. They played the Ravens, and uh, they went to overtime. And Greg Camarillo scored like a fifty yard touchdown or something, and to make them one in fourteen, and. I swear to you, the entire city of Miami acted like they'd won a Super Bowl because no one had gone <laughs> 0, 0 and uh, 0 and 16 at that point. And it, people still talk about Greg Camarillo to this day as a as a folk hero because he prevented them from going 0 and 16. It was so funny to watch. It was just, like the radio call of that. The guys are just screaming like they just won the Rose Bowl or something. It was phenomenal. And so I love bad football as much as I love good football. And, 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 and let's be real. It's a celebration of football. Like it, we we love football, so we can appreciate these dumb games like this. We're games where it's a random Sunday. I'm just here to write a feature story. You're here to to draw to to, to ride out the the string on a on a bad season. And all of a sudden, we have a game we're talking about one year later. That's football. Yes, and honestly, we come from a cross section where you have your roots in Miami. I have my roots in the '90s Cincinnati Bengals. Like yeah. we just have an appreciation for. Yes for what that can be and the glory in watching bad things happen. And I, and I, I love, it. I hope everybody, uh, if, if you don't, you should be, uh, listening to listening and reading Kevin at the ringer. Uh, I hope, Thank hope you. you do. Um, and watching slow news day, which is always fantastic. Always one of my favorite things to, to check out every single week. Uh, so please, please, uh, keep up with that. And Kevin, thanks for joining us every we, Every time the Bengals play the dolphins, we should revisit this forever this and ever, I, forever I, I, I and ever down. Until down. until just, Joe Burrow and and Tua are no longer on either team, 
that we have to continue to revisit this every time these two teams match. Next year's AFU championship game. We'll talk Obviously. about it on the eve. On the yeah. eve. These, yeah. How far they've come. We'll do it. We'll do it inside a bar in yeah. Miami, and yeah. we'll have lots of people there all breathing Tons on each people. other. It'll be fantastic. Hugs. Hugs all around. <laughs> hugs yeah. for everything. I'll hug yeah. you, and we've never hugged. We've never hugged, but we will. We will <laughs> in the first post-COVID uh, Dolphins-Bengals pod. I look forward to it. Kevin, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it, man. Anytime. Okay, let's pause right there for a second and take a break. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. That was fun. Uh, love talking to Kevin Clark. Uh, if you don't, if you don't listen or read the work that he does over there at the Ringer, you need to be. Slow News Day uh, is is a great thing to watch every single week. It's, if he's fantastic, does fantastic work. I uh, love having him on to talk about um, all of that, <laughs> which is fun and a very interesting conversation. Also, for how these two teams uh, kind of go forward. Um, all right, and speaking of how they go forward, the Bengals hope to maybe win more than two games this year. Uh, they haven't yet, and you might be shocked to find this out, people. Jay has some sad stats about that. I do. Um, since the NFL went to a 16-game season in 1978, there's only been 30 teams that have won two or fewer games in a season. And... Of those 30, only two have failed to win more games the following year. That's that 6.7%. That's what the Bengals, they need to win one of their final five to avoid joining that group. Um, if you want to know who those two are, the the class that the Bengals could be joining, the, the 2008 Rams went 2-14 and 14 and followed that up with a 1-15. And I'm sure everyone knows the other one. The uh, 2016 Cleveland Browns went one and 15 and then followed that up with zero and 16. So there's Steve Spagnolo and Hugh Jackson are the coaches that, that Zach Taylor is trying to avoid. And it, it's not just the, the two wins. If you look at teams that have gone that have won three wins or fewer, only six of them have failed to to get more wins the following year and, and the men that that coached those teams that failed to do it were the combination of Scott Linehan and Jim Hazlitt with the, the 07 08 Rams Oof. Jim Mora with the 97 Colts went three and 13 in back-to-back years 
Rich Kotite, who nobody wants to be associated with. Ooh. The 95 Jets, 3-13 and 13 to 1-15. and 15. And the Cincinnati Bengals' own Dave Shula, back-to-back 3-13s and in 93 and 94. Not a good group. Not, <laughs> Not at all. Good group. It's a good Jim Mora continues to show up in Bengals' conversations because he always – he had the a playoff appearances without a win – streak that he had going when we used to compare Marvin to him and now he shows back up in this one Jim Moore get out of our life he get was out of our life was he was he most games coached without a playoff win is that what I the, there were many different he would always show up in those conversations yeah. of whether it was that whether it was yeah whether it was most playoff games without a win it was it would always there's Mora showing up again <laughs> always it was Marvin Mora always showing up in these conversations playoffs so uh, anyway, that's that's good. That's good stuff right there. Let's piggyback on that in this week in Bengals, um, which if you haven't seen a lot of what we talked about on Tuesday about the three year window. And you heard me talk with Kevin Clark a little bit about that. Um, I detailed that a look at really what the decisions have been for organizations faced with a first time head coach that doesn't you know, has a losing record for the first two years. Do you, should you expect it to still turn around the third year? Is there precedent for that? Is there not? Is it, it, what, where do we see these franchises go? It's a really interesting look. I was surprised at some of the results that is up on the site uh, right now. Um, Part of that, I also in degenerate corner looked at the last time the Bengals were a double digit underdog on the road and won. And they are 0-23. They've lost 23 consecutive games in that scenario, which is a sad stat in its own. The last time they won was at Pittsburgh in 1999. Jeff Blake to Darnay Scott for a 76-yard bomb in that one. Corey Dillon, 120 yards on the ground. They upset the Steelers. Man, the good old days, right? Uh Oh, and 23 bad run. But Jay, you took it a step further. Did you not? Yeah, I did. I just went with teams that were 11 point or greater underdogs in the month of December, because you can, if it's an early season game, sometimes you don't really know what teams are, you know what they are by December. And if, if you're a double digit underdog in December, you're, you're playing out the string. You're the chances of pulling an upset are, are pretty great. Not great as in good, as in great as in long. Um, so teams that were eleven point underdogs in the month of December, home or away, I, I didn't specify away like you did, um, are thirty four and zero. I'm sorry, the, the, the eleven point favorites are thirty four and zero. The last mm-hmm. team to pull an upset as an underdog of eleven or points or more in December was the Raiders, and they also did it at Pittsburgh. Um, they were 15-point underdogs. It was a game December 6th, 2009, which if you look at your calendar, Sunday will be the 11-year anniversary of that game. Ooh. Um, I think they'll mention it on the broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> it, what surprised me is I, I was like, well, that, what, why were they – it was a 15-point. Why were they such a, a huge underdog? And the Raiders were 4-8, and eight, and the Steelers were 6-6. Six and six. And the only thing I can figure, the, the Raiders had lost – Jamarcus Russell um, a couple weeks earlier there they were the number one overall pick he never panned out but he but they lost their starting quarterback and and actually 
Bruce Gradkowski came in for Jamarcus Russell. And, and Bruce's first game uh, after Russell went down, he beat the Bengals. The, the Bengals went out to Oakland. That's when the Bengals were good. It was 2009. They were running through people, and they went out to Oakland, and they lost. Um, and then the, the Raiders lost the following week. So they're 4-8. and eight. They're going into Pittsburgh. They're 15-point underdogs, and they beat them 27-24. to 24. Um, And since then, teams that are 11-point favorites in December are 34-0. and 0. We talk about the Bengals being the and ones. Uh, that would be a nice one for Bengals fans to get, maybe. For fans that just want wins, that would be a nice <laughs> one to get. For fans that want Panay Sewell, eh. Zach, Zach Taylor could use an and one. Yes, he could. He could use one more and one. There's no doubt about that. Um, all right, well, let's let's uh, we're going to come back uh, and get to our run passer boot and our Bengals growler bet for a chance for you to win some delicious 50 West beer um, and our prediction. But first, let's dive into the chances of the Bengals winning on Sunday. Uh, hopefully, they're better than 34 or no. I'm not sure. Uh, but Jay, here's your conversation with Josh Tolentino, our guy in Miami uh, covering the Dolphins. Josh, how you doing today? Jay, doing well, man. How are you uh, doing up there? And uh, what's the weather like in Ohio right now? Yeah, it's it's cold. Uh, it finally got cold this week. I was just going to say, I've done pretty well with this whole pandemic thing. Uh, been pretty fortunate to still be working, and it, it hasn't affected. I like going to bars, and it, it hasn't been as big of a challenge, but this week's really a bummer. I was really looking forward to going to Miami in December for the second year in a row. And it was one of, one of my most memorable road trips, um, of covering the Bengals was last year, that game in Miami, the game was so crazy. Uh, there was this like crazy flood, um, the night of the game where the, the Fort Lauderdale airport actually got closed. Everybody's scrambling to get flights back. And, um, just, just a little bummed. I'm not going to be down in Miami this week. How's the weather down there? Oh my goodness. So there was actually this cold front. It's the coldest it's been all year. Uh, as you can see me, I'm, I'm wearing a hoodie right now to our listeners that don't do that often, but, uh, temperatures have, have dipped here in, I think the fifties and sixties, which is pretty cold for uh, South Florida, but it looks like by game day, you know, they're going to be creeping back up to that eighties, you know, maybe even see that heat index hit the nineties range, which is, uh, I think what the dolphins, love to play in and you know have the the cold weather opponents come down here and you know they put them on the other side of the the field where the sun is beating down on them so i think <laughs> all is uh, shaping up to be a much warmer game uh, you know on sunday <laughs> okay well what well, the the big question going into this game i think for probably dolphins fans and bengal fans and and media everybody um and maybe you know maybe you don't but, but who do you expect to see at quarterback for the dolphins on sunday you know, there, there's really no certain answer, especially with, um, I mean, the the NFL protocols now uh, prohibits, and I think this this I th- might be league wide for for you guys as well. But when they go in the bubble, that we're not allowed in practice anymore, so we're just really dependent on the injury report. And unfortunately, you know, we've got this huge storyline re- regarding the quarterback to his thumb injury. We won't be able to see him throw today, or we won't be able to be at practice at all today because they're going into the bubble. Um, so, um, won't really have an update on to, uh, until that injury report comes out, but I, I think it's pretty telling Jay that he's been a limited participant, uh, for over a week now, really all of last week. Uh, he began this week, this past Wednesday on the injury report as a limited participant. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's gotta be bothering him to the point where 
he's not able to participate in, in every drill and in, in the entire practice. So um, I think that's pretty telling. Uh, they're they're the Dolphins. They're luckily they're they're in a great situation though when you you consider where the team is at. They're in the playoff conversation at this point of the season, uh, the beginning of December, and they've got a somewhat reliable uh, veteran backup in Ryan Fitzpatrick, who who actually guided them to a winning record before Tua took over. So, um, and then again, I think Brian Flores, Chan Gailey, the offensive coordinator, they've has they have so much familiarity with Ryan Fitzpatrick that if Tua isn't ready to go, that they 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 really have no issue. Uh, trotting Fitzpatrick out there against the the Bengals. What have you seen from, I mean, everybody expected this to be Tua versus Burrow, and, and now maybe we don't see either one of them, but what, it, what Tua started four games, right? Yes, he started four games, and, and it, you mentioned the quarterback matchup between Burrow and Tua. That was kind of the big storyline, obviously, when the Chargers came to town with Justin Herbert and Tua. That Tua was, I think, a couple games in at that point. And every, that's what everyone was talking about. I mean, any casual football fan wanted to see that matchup between the, the two rookie uh, quarterbacks taken in that top 10. I mean, back-to-back next to each other, number five and six overall. Obviously, Joe Burrow going first. And, and really, it's kind of been the overlying factor all season with this Dolphins team. Uh, yeah, all the hype was on Tua and continues to be around Tua, but it's this defense that continues to, to show out. They forced the turnover in 17 straight games now, dating back to last season. That's the longest streak in the NFL. And they continue to just build points off turnovers, and their defense continues to uh, make noise and almost allow room for Tua and now Ryan Fitzpatrick to to really deal and have some space to work with because the defense has just been playing so well. I think this is what Brian Flores kind of envisioned when he took over uh, as the head coach. He wanted to bring this defensive mind first philosophy to the team and it was a struggle last year you know they were getting blown out in a lot of games but they made several additions this past offseason in addition to Tua and building the offensive line but um, primarily on that defense through free agency they had a lot of names and they're starting to instill that scheme that they really want that has been a lot that has allowed this team to, to be pretty successful this year. Yeah, no one spent more money in free agency than the Bengals than the Dolphins did. I mean, they went crazy. Um, who, who do you think? Which which free agent on that the defensive side of the ball do you think has been the most impactful this year? Yeah, first Jay, I mean, you, you mentioned it right there. No one has spent more money in free agency <laughs> than the Dolphins, and that's not what you really ever see a, a rebuilding team do. This is the second year of Brian Flores regime and and his rebuild if you want to call it that and that's what we should be calling it that i think everyone's so caught up in in the record and the playoff conversation which is you know a testament to their success and how ahead of schedule in the rebuild they are but they like what you said they spent 200 million dollars in free agency no team spent more i think you got to look at emmanuel agba he's the team's sack leader he's forced uh, a few strip sack fumbles. I mean, he's, he's been that difference maker on the front right there at the end. Um, really a headache for a lot of opposing tackles uh, all, throughout the league. I mean, it seems like each game really over the past month and a half, he's made a different Shaq loss in there um, also on the defensive line. Uh, and then you got to look at Byron Jones. I think 
a lot of the shine deservedly. So has been on Xavier Howard, who, who's been here for several seasons and he's the NFL interception leader right now. Uh, you know, as there's five games left, he, he's really starting to, to take a little firm hold on uh, being part of this defensive player of the year consideration. I mean, he's, he's leading the league in picks and, but that doesn't happen without Byron Jones. He's he was he was that highest NFL's highest paid quarterback until Jalen Ramsey signed his deal. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so many additions on, on that defensive side that has has made them really the product of what they are right now. Yeah, not just what he does on the field, but it probably doesn't hurt having Agba come in there waving the Super Bowl ring around either. Um, I wanted to ask you about last year. It was it was crazy that that game in December. You know the it, the Dolphins are three and eleven. The Bengals are one and thirteen. It's both are still in line for the number one overall pick, and it has that crazy ending that the Dolphins go out to the huge lead, blow it, uh, then win in overtime, and then the next week they go to New England, and New England is playing for a bye, and the Dolphins win in New England, and so they close the year with back to back wins, and I'm just wondering how. I mean, do you, how much of that really created the momentum for this year? Because a lot of times that doesn't carry over or, or did that even play a role in, I mean, it's one thing to have the money to spend 200 million in free agency. It's another thing to convince guys to actually come play for you. Do you, how important do you think that stretch was as those final two games last year? Yeah. I'm glad you bring up that game. And then also how they kind of, steamrolled into new england and literally left dancing away to the offseason ryan fitzpatrick vividly carried some teammates off the field on his shoulders uh, <laughs> as they left new england he left a very sour taste in the patriots uh, fan base but uh, i think that was a very telling stretch of the season especially after they began the season i mean they lost seven in a row and it wasn't just jay the the it was the way they were losing those games. They were getting blown out in almost every single game. The point differential, I mean, it was outstanding. It was so outstanding that it was um, almost historically laughable. And then here they go and they, they finished the season five and four with wins against the Bengals and then the Patriots to finish off the season. And that kind of sent a message around the team and um, really around Ryan Fitzpatrick for him to be able to lead the team at the end of the season and also Brian Flores to be able to kind of commend his guys to, to gather together around each other. And um, while all the, the talk was tanking at the time for, you know, whichever quarterback you want to say, Burrow, obviously, uh, Tua in that conversation, uh, that all both fan bases wanted the losses, but uh, they were able to rally against each uh, with each other, uh, got five wins in those last nine games. And I think that really rolled over. Uh, into the, the off season that yeah they did get their f- face of the franchise or who they hope to be their face of the franchise into a but uh, obviously the, the season started with ryan fitzpatrick and he he guided them the, a few wins to begin the season before Tua took over uh with 10 games left so i think that's where the entire fan base is at right now the last thing i want to leave you with here or ask you about is just I mean, the parallels between these two franchises and the current situations are so great um, that a lot of the angst from Bengals fans has been the about the fact that they didn't do anything to protect Joe Burrow, and we saw how that ended. Um, the Dolphins, through the early tanking last year, they, they accumulate all these draft picks with three firsts, two seconds, and a third this year. 
um, spent three of them on offensive linemen and they're all playing right now. And I guess you can say is, is sticking three rookie offensive linemen in front of a rookie quarterback. Does that count as protecting? I mean, long-term? Yes, that's great. Does that count as protecting him this year? But I'm just curious, you know, how those guys have played, especially Austin Jackson, who, you know, a rookie at left tackle, um, with a rookie quarterback, if Tua is playing, can, can be dicey. Um, how have those young linemen looked this year? Yeah, Jay, it's such a uh, an ongoing situation. They're they're actually coming off, and I think they have a lot to prove again in this Bengals game. They're coming off really two of their worst performances of the year. Uh, to his last start before that, he suffered the thumb injury. Um, I mean, it was his worst game of the season against the Broncos, and pass protection played a huge part in that. He was hit a season high eight times. He was sacked six times. Uh, going into that game and his uh, the four games previous to that, he had only been sacked four times all season, and then he gets mm-hmm. sacked six times in Denver, uh, a testament to Tua holding the ball too long, receivers not getting open, but again, pass protection, the offensive line. And then how do they follow up the, the next week? Uh, arguably even a worse performance. Ryan Fitzpatrick absorbed 10 total quarterback hits this past Week, So I, I think the offensive line, is, it's been a, a theme throughout this week. They really want to rebound uh, against this Bengals team on Sunday. It, again, it's been an ongoing, uh, almost a revolving door type thing is that Jesse Davis was the lone returner this year. They're, they're starting three uh, rookies. They're all getting playing time. And then in addition to that, the, the other two guys, Eric Flowers, uh, Teddy Karras, those are two veteran names that Brian Flores, Chris Greer, general manager, brought in who they're, they're continuing to mix in with these three rookies. So um, I think the offensive line definitely still has a long way to go. And uh, it's not it's just Cincinnati. I mean, I know two is uh, relatively healthy right now and they're trying to keep them upright. But that's obviously still an issue down here in South Florida. Yeah, well, nobody hits the quarterback less frequently than the Bengals, so that's a that's a good uh, recipe for that Dolphins O line to get get right this week. Uh, Josh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, really sorry, I'm not going to get to see you in person on Sunday, but uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today and enjoy covering the rest of the season. It should be a an interesting run for the Dolphins. Jay, man, leading up to the game, I'll, I'll try to get some some beach time and you know some rays <laughs> under the sun for you since uh, you know it's been a a tough uh, go here for opposing writers on the road, but you know, we'll be sure to enjoy the sunshine before this game. Send me some picks. I, I won't, I won't take it personal. I won't take it as a shot. I will, I will take it as a, an act of friendship. Hey, no burrow. No, you know, possibly no Tua, but we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy what we have here. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks to Josh for joining us. Uh, great to catch up with what's going on in Miami as the Bengals get ready to go down and take on, the seven and four Dolphins winners are six of seven, so playing pretty well. Um, all right, let's get to it. Run passer boot first, Jay. You've got a good one. I like this one. You came up with this. All credit to you on this. I really enjoy it. Uh, go for it. I'll let you. I'll let you own the delivery. <laughs> okay. It, it 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 seems like a no brainer, but you, yeah, you never know. All right, run passer boot. What will be greater on Sunday? Brandon Allen's completion percentage, the game's longest field goal, or the game's longest punt. (laughs) Now, you know the field goal is not going over 60, probably. 
Uh, and both punters have had punts of more than 60 this year. Brandon Allen's completion percentage last week was 58.6. For his career, it's 49.6. Um, and just for some more background for you, if you're formulating your thoughts right now, Paul, um, Jason Saunders, the, the Dolphins kicker, is 8 of 8 from 50 yards or more this year and 12 of 14 for his career. And if we once again go back to that game last year against the Bengals and Dolphins, Randy Bullock kicked a franchise record 57-yarder in Miami last year. So while it would seem normal to take a quarterback completion percentage, uh, maybe not this week. I'm I'm not going to. Uh, That Dolphins defense is really good. And I'm going to go with the field goal because I, I think either the Dolphins get a long win in losing time because that's just what happens or the, the Bengals have, they struggle to, to move the ball and maybe that's their best choice to get points on the board is to try a long field goal. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with, with the game's longest field goal. I'll, I'll pass on Brandon Allen's completion percentage and, and I'll boot uh, the longest punt. It's even though it seems the same with balls flying through the air. It's supposed to be hot. It's supposed to be humid. Um, might make it tougher to to kick punts. Um, I guess it make it tougher to kick field goals too. But I'm I'm still going to do it. I'll, I'll run with the field goal. I'll pass on the completion p- percentage, and I will boot punt. Well, I'm the opposite. I'm <laughs> running with punt. Punt. I think Kevin Huber is going to have many opportunities, and I think he's going to pound at least one or maybe two over sixty. I think I think we'll see a you know a 62 63 yard punt maybe with a long return but I think I think we will see a long one. So I'm going to run uh with long punt on the the strong left leg of Kevin Huber. I'm going to pass on the Allen completion percentage and I'm going to boot the field goal. Uh I think I don't I don't I don't think it's going to I'm just going to go against long field goals happening and so I'm saying Kevin Huber's left leg carries me to victory uh in this particular run passer boot. All right, growler bet time. Reminder to everyone, no winners last week. So close, so close, but no winner last week. Uh, we have a good one for you this week. I think you might be able to win. We shall see. Here's what I've got. The background on this is the Bengals have been terrible on third downs, and the Dolphins have been very good. They've been good on third downs. They're the best in the league, right? Yeah, 32.8% on defense, number yeah. one in the league. Number one in the league defensively, and the Bengals are six of their last 36, correct? Yeah, 36.2% overall, 29th in the league. 29th in the league. Okay, here's what it is. I need you to get both of these numbers correct in order to win a growler of delicious 50 West beer, thanks to us and 50 West. Uh Send your answers to me either. This is how it works. If you're going to email me in the subject header, the word growler needs to be in there. And the email is pdaner, P-D-E-H-N-E-R, at theathletic.com. If you are going to tweet at me, I need hashtag Bengals growler bet altogether. Hashtag Bengals growler bet with your answer on it. We search the column and I search the subject headers in the email. That's how we find your answers. If you didn't do either of those, you've eliminated yourself. But here's what we got. Third down conversion percentage 
for both the Bengals and the Dolphins. I need both correct. I need you to get the third down conversion percentage for both the Bengals. So 8 of 16 for the Bengals would be 50%. 4 of 16 would be 25%. I need that number. And then if the Dolphins go 8 of 16, 50% for Dolphins. Specify the team and the percentage. If you hit them both, the beer is yours. If you hit one, you get no beer. Maybe maybe I'll give you a so close. But we'll see. <laughs> We shall see. Uh, but we need to get those percentages correct. Percentage. Remember that. All right. P. Daner at theathletic.com or hashtag Bengals Growler Bet on Twitter. All right. Prediction time. What do we got? What makes this so hard? Like for the Bengals, I'm going to do – they've been 3 of 10 and 3 of 13 their last two games. So I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to go 3 of 13 for 23%. What makes this so hard is – if they don't have 13 first down attempts, like if, if they have or third down attempts, if they have 14, if they have 15, it may not even be possible to get to 23%. So that that's, I, I, this one's going to be harder than I thought originally when we addressed it early in the, in the show. Um, but I'm going to go 23% Bengals and 56% Dolphins. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm just going to keep it easy. I'm just going to go very easy. I'm going to say Dolphins 50, Bengals 25. I almost did that. Yeah. I just want to keep it simple. Nice, clean numbers, you know, gives me, give me the best chance to make it happen. Uh, okay. Now, now predictions for the game. What do you got for predictions for the game? You know, I, I don't see, I think the Bengals cover. I, I, it's just, they've, they've been cover machines. Um, I think this, I think this line is inflated. If, if you look at, you know, outside of turnovers and third down, which are pretty big stats, the Dolphins aren't really good in many other categories. I mean, they're 30th in, in total offense. They're 30th in rush offense. They're 26th in rush defense. Um, I think the Bengals can keep it close, but I don't think they're going to have enough to win. Uh, I'm going to say 27-21 Dolphins. 27-21 Dolphins. All right. That's – uh. That's respectable. Um, the over-under is 41 and a half, and I had the stat in the degenerate corner that in these situations of the Bengals being double-digit dogs in the road, they are under or pushing in each of their last eight games. There's a little nugget for you. 41 and a half. So I think it goes low, but I'll say I'll – say Dolphins 20, Bengals 12. <laughs> Dolphins 20, Bengals 12. Uh, one possession loss. Uh, Isn't that what you picked last week? I think it was something similar right. to like that. Sounds, it feels right. I don't know. Double check me on that. I, I, I never remember what happens here. I say it, and then it's over, and it's gone, until people start reminding me on Twitter how much I either screwed it up or something. Uh so that is prediction for Sunday. Of course, we will have the walkout for you after Sunday's game in Miami. Um, so come on back for that fun. I'm sure everyone enjoys that. And a lot of special stuff planned for you next week. So make sure you keep it locked to The Athletic. Reminder, theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growl and go to that page and subscribe from there. And if you do for right now, you got you got to get in now through, I believe it's through tomorrow. Um, you get in there. 
and you can get the $1 a month for the next 12 months deal. Or after that, it goes away. You're not going to find anything remotely close to this. This is the time to do it. Go do it now. Theathletic.com slash hear that podcast ground. Go in there and uh, get our Black Friday, Cyber Monday, big time celebration, Christmas time, holiday thing deal. Uh, all right. Thanks everybody for listening. And we will talk to you after the game in Miami. Have a good weekend, everybody.